It is Wednesday, August 22nd, 2018, and this is 3000 NFL Mock Draft, a Seattle Seahawks podcast with myself, Kenneth Arthur of Field Goals and Rob Staten of SeahawksDraftBlog.com. And we are talking about the Seahawks in the middle of their preseason schedule, coming off of a loss to the LA Chargers, putting them at 0-2 in the meaningless preseason in terms of records um, with two games to go. This Friday, the 24th, they take on the Minnesota Vikings at 5 p.m., um, and that's considered to be the closest thing to a, a regular season a warm-up game how teams test themselves that third preseason game of the schedule and certainly the Seahawks get an in- interesting test with the Minnesota Vikings number one defense I mean their defense the defense was you know number one or two at least at football outsiders last season so but they'll take on their first string defense and get to test Russell Wilson Chris Carson all those guys against a pretty good defense out there but they just had a test against the Chargers and they came up pretty short um, for that test that I said already I snuck in the word meaningless you know, there's so many things that teams are trying out. The um, the objective to win the game is not the same as it is in the regular season. But that being said, you know, we can take a look at what did happen, especially in the first half and then with some of the backups in the second half and that 24-14 loss to the Chargers. Uh, Rob, you know, before I get into any specifics, what was your main takeaway from the game against the Chargers uh, this past week? I thought it was a sloppy game, sloppy performance by the Seahawks. Um, obviously started really well on offense. But well, then the diff- the defense was like a sieve on the first drive, and Carol mentioned after the game that they they'd played a really vanilla uh, first look on defense, and and Rivers just you know carved it open, and then they changed a couple of things, would do it differently in a in a regular season game, and and they did have some success on defense, so I, I wouldn't overreact to that too much. Uh, but it was sloppy, wasn't it? I mean, the fumble from Carson on the uh, on the one yard line there to to give up some points. Uh, the, the the little penalty from Disley, which took four points off the board, which I thought was a bit nitpicky, but at the same time, you can see why they threw the flag. Um, you don't want to give the refs a, a, an opportunity in preseason to call something like that. The special teams, you know, John Ryan, I think maybe just tried a little too hard. He'd seen Michael Dixon kick a beautiful punt uh, a few moments earlier and then tries to to sort of match him and then out kicks the coverage and then the coverage was terrible as well and there's a special teams touchdown. And when you actually look at the, the, the final score in the end, it kind of, it was closer than maybe it felt actually watching the game. If you didn't have the score at the top of the screen, you'd probably think that, that LA had comfortably won that game by more than they did. In the end, the Seahawks actually had a chance that they could have got a, a stop at the end um, to have a chance to go down there and tie the game or maybe win it with a two-point conversion. And But for the second week in a row, um, I think it was an important third down or, or an early down and they just ran the ball and got a very simple, significant gain. And that was an issue as well. So there were there were a lot of sloppy things about the game. I, I, as you said, it's meaningless. It's, it's not overly concerning. I'd be more concerned if we see those things in week one that the Seahawks generally have been quite a sloppy team under Pete Carroll anyway. You know, they've found ways to sort of work around that at times, whether it's been Russell Wilson's magic or a great defence. Um, and, and I think that I also wouldn't read too much into the to the game plan and systems that they use. For example, we saw a lot of deep shots from Russell Wilson in this game. And I think people were perhaps wondering why at the time, you know, why were the Seahawks doing that? Why did Russell Wilson play a half? I think that's probably explained by in the second half of the first game, they didn't really have much of a chance to look at the receivers. If you noticed after half time that the offense kind of stalled a bit when the, the two backup quarterbacks came in, they didn't really get a chance to, to give the receivers a chance to shine. And I think they wanted to leave Russell Wilson on the field a little bit longer to give those receivers the best possible opportunity to impress because at the end of the day they're going to be catching passes from Russell Wilson not Austin Davis or Alex Magoo so I think that was that was the reasoning behind that I think Wilson was taking shots for that reason to see you know that I think that that first half was about really on offense 
yeah, you know, establish the run early on, but let's see what the receivers can do and let's see who's really winning this competition in a proper game situation. So sloppy, some positives, but ultimately you move on. Yeah, and in terms of the running backs, you know, this week we found out that J.D. McKissick is going to be out for four to six weeks, maybe a little bit even longer, um, with a foot injury. And this past game, C.J. Prosai is healthy enough to get out there and play again uh, back from his hip injury that kept him out of the first preseason game. C.J. Prosai three carries for 12 yards with a long of six, but also was the most targeted Seahawk in the game, receiving six targets, catching all those for 35 yards. Not a huge explosive uh, performance by C.J. Procise by any means, not what we had seen from him as a rookie when he got his touches. And again, you know, in this is preseason action and it was just nice for him to get out there. But with the injury to McKissick, with uh, Rashad Penny being sidelined for the time being, likely to be back by week one. But Rashad Penny on the on the outside right now, it gives an opportunity for CJ Procise to reestablish himself as a part of the offense um, and establish himself for the first time, I guess you could also say. Um, but in terms of hope and expectations and uh, excitement or concerns around CJ Procise and the injury to JD McKissick now uh, any thoughts there well i just hope that by the time the season starts Kenny that they they have real clarity on what they actually want to do with all these collection of running backs that they have uh, the McKissick situation probably probably provides a little bit more clarity there because i i did have a small concern before this injury that they've got maybe too many options that in the past, you knew that Marshawn Lynch was going to be your, your, your star running back. You know, occasionally Robert Turbin or Kristen Michael or somebody would spell him for a series. And, and when Marshawn was being stupid and um, and, and trying to be uh, a bit of a nuisance for the coaches and would, would perhaps feign a stomach upset or something and not, not start a game in Arizona or something like that, um, you would occasionally see someone like Turbin or whoever was there. Um taking the lead role initially before Marshawn came in and won the game. So um, there was you knew what, what the Seahawks were, you knew what the running game was. And I kind of hope that this year, at least, there's a real focus on, yeah, Chris Carson's going to get most of the carries here and Rashad Penny's going to be spelling him a little bit and they're going to work him into a third down role and then just go with that. Because then the worst possible thing would be trying to work a situation whereby you've got to get Carson his touches because he's been the best in in preseason, but then you feel obliged to give Penny so many touches because of the, the expense of the first pick, and then you've got to get Procise involved because well he, he's such an intriguing player, and then if they want JD McKissick to be, I, I was a little bit worried that there was just too many options there for them. I think now maybe a bit more clarity because of the injury to Procise. He's coming back because it's his injury. He's going to be out for a few weeks, maybe start the season on IR. I don't know. Um, but I hope that by week one in Denver, they know what they're doing, they know what they're going with, and that has to be a heavy dose of Chris Carson nicely complimented by Rashad Penny. Defensively, you know, we've talked a lot about the pass rush and that being their big weakness uh, looking ahead. Um, but Rasheem Green, you know, for the second straight week in the preseason, having a very productive night out there. And, and you know, I wrote an article earlier this week uh, about, you know, how the Seahawks defense has to focus or is focusing. You know, I think that the organization and the, the drafting and the free agency and all that kind of stuff focusing on the fact that as they lose all their secondary stars, maybe they need to start building up these front seven and especially because they've already got the linebackers, but building up this defensive line. And if you extend Frank Clark this year, and if you have something in Rasheem Green, because Rasheem Green, you know, looks about as disruptive in his first preseason as Frank Clark did three years ago, um, that you could have something in Rasheem Green. And the fact that Rasheem Green is just barely turned 21 and looks like he could be a part of the defense right now, even if he 
isn't going to be uh, an eight or nine sack guy as a rookie. If he can just get in there and, and continue to develop the next season, he could be perhaps at that point. And we don't know. It's it's still early on, but certainly it seems like if they ha- it seems like they do have something in Rasheem Green that goes beyond where he was as a draft prospect just back in April when he went in the third round. Um, what are you liking? What are you seeing from Rasheem Green? And you know, if the Seahawks are able to, you know, there's some reports that Pete Carroll thinks and hopes that Deion Jordan could be ready by week one. But if it's Rasheem Green, Frank Clark, Deion Jordan, um, and then they're working in, you know, Quentin Jefferson and uh, and uh, thinking, hoping that they have some other pieces there. But how do you feel any more positively about the defensive line and the pass rush based on these early returns from Rasheem Green, or is it just? Not that much substance quite yet around Green. Well, I think there's there's two ways of looking at it. I think really excited with, with Green. He's looked absolutely fantastic, hasn't he, Kenny? I'm I'm sure you feel exactly the same way about that. And it's not just the fact that he's going out there and winning against really bad third, second or third string offensive linemen. He's it's his technique, it's it's the way that he is he was always looked like a know a first round frame and an athlete you know he's, he's always had that in his locker but it's the technical side of things you know he's not just overpowering or just being quicker than everybody else he's actually using subtle technique things like his hand placement um the way that he is setting up blocks um to, to actually have success and i think that's the most encouraging thing he looks like a quick learner he looks like he's taken on board everything that he's been taught during preseason. Hopefully, he's going to take that into the regular season. It's going to be very different when he's out there and all of a sudden people... And the the focus is going to be on him now, Kenny. This is going to be the challenge for him. He's kind of been under the radar a little bit during camp. There wasn't a lot of people talking about him. There was a lot of talk about Shaquem Griffin, understandably. Michael Dixon, because, you know, who wouldn't talk about a fifth-round punter? And also Rashad Penny, because he was the first-round pick. And then Green kind of was was mixed in with some of the others who were kind of just under the radar a little bit. And then the Colts game kind of launched him forward. And then backing it up with a performance against the Chargers has really thrust him up there. So, you know, I think really exciting. They have to be optimistic that he can be a They desperately needed to find somebody this offseason who could complement this pass rush. And he looks like he could be a long-term fixture. Very exciting, but we want to see him do it in the regular season as well. And in the general point in terms of the pass rush, well, you're going to be a little bit encouraged because of Green's performance. And if Clark can find a level of consistency, but that's it's a big year for him. And, and I think there's two ways of looking at it. From, from this season... Yes, you know, I think with Green and with Clark and with potentially Dion Jordan coming back, they're supposed to be meeting with Junior Gallette. If they can f- cobble together a pass rush, and it is cobbled together for one year, and, and given that expectation is not that high for the Seahawks, I personally don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. I don't think that many people do. Therefore, I don't think it, it really matters that much if it is a work in progress, especially with the fantastic defensive line options that are going to be in the 2019 draft and a couple of options in free agency as well. They might double dip there. Um, but for this year, it, it seems fine. The long-term future, though, there's a big old question mark because while Green's showing promise, what do you do with Frank Clark? Because you're not going to pay him now, because if you're paying him now, you're going to be paying him at the top end of the rate. You're going to be paying him at a, a level which is probably even above people like Everson Griffin. And I don't think he, he warrants that kind of a salary just yet. Um, but then at the end of the year, what if he has another year like last year, which was like, he looks really good in some games, but then not so much in others. You know, is, is there a, a monetary value there that both sides can agree on? Or do you just have to let him hit free agency and, and play it by ear and run the risk of losing him? And if he doesn't perform particularly well or if he gets hurt well, what then I mean it's it's a really complex situation the franchise tag could come into play can't imagine they're going to want to go down that road with the huge expense that would come with it so I think it's very difficult for teams to re-sign pass rushers who and we're seeing it with with Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack at the moment you know how what is it what is a fair value right now for a really good pass rusher 
what's a fair value for an elite pass rusher? What's a fair value for a, a just above average pass rusher? I don't think we really know the answers to that. It's going to make for a really interesting dilemma with Frank Clark moving forward. But thankfully, whatever happens with Frank, um, as I mentioned, amazing looking draft class for 2019 will be the year of the defensive lineman, even if some of these guys don't declare. And there are a couple of options in free agency as well. And the Seahawks will have money to spend. So, you know, that that is a plus going forward because this pass rush is going to be a, a priority focus area, I imagine, for the next 12 months. Looking ahead just to the next eight days, the Seahawks will play their final two preseason games beginning this Friday against the Minnesota Vikings. And then next Thursday, they close it out against the Oakland Raiders, um, as I think they do every year. Uh, but this Friday against the Minnesota Vikings, you know, that's going to be another opportunity to sort of figure out some of these position battles and roster battles. Um, will Alex Magoo win the job over Austin Davis to back up Russell Wilson? Magoo having a nice game in the, you know, in the cleanup against the LA Chargers. Can Mike Davis secure a job in the running back groups? Uh, or will someone else step up in the wake of the JD McKissick injury? And, you know, especially too on offense, whether or not you know, after we expect to see Doug Baldwin in week, in week one, you know, Pete Carroll saying that Baldwin will be ready for week one, expecting Tyler Lockett and Jerron Brown to be a part of that unit too. Also looking at the receiver groups where David Moore has emerged as a guy who seems hard to release at this point, you know, after previously talking that way about guys like Marcus Johnson and uh, Brandon Marshall and, you know, it seeming like a very difficult competition uh, for sure at that point. And now, of course, the big talk is all around Jermaine Afidi with George Fant now working at right tackle. Um, Rob, looking ahead to this game against the Minnesota Vikings where, you know, I'm assuming maybe we'll see George Fant out there with the ones against the Vikings um, to give the Seahawks another opportunity to take a look at, you know, or a first opportunity to take a look at whether or not he's going to do a much better job of protecting Russell Wilson, of not having penalties. Um, a lot of the focus now will be on that right tackle position and George Fant and if he can beat out Jermaine Afidi, but there's also the competitions at receiver and backup quarterback and running back. What are you looking for? What do you expect? Um, anything that you're hopeful for? Like in terms of especially the George Fant, Jermaine Afidi thing, as well as, you know, those last two probably receiver jobs, what are you looking for and what do you expect? Uh, what I'm looking for, I'd quite like to see the, I, I personally would be a, a, a little bit surprised. Unless George Fant's had a great week of practice this week, I think I'd be a little bit surprised to see him with the ones and I, and I would urge all Seahawks fans not to overreact to what happens in this game with whether that's with the Fede or the line in general because they're coming up against the Minnesota Vikings you know they might have the best all-round defensive line in the NFL this year it is going to be loaded I suspect that someone is going to get beat in the first half whether that's a Fede Justin Britt Dwayne Brown whoever someone's going to get beat in this first half more than one person might get beat in this first half Russell Wilson might be pressured in this first half because guess what? You know, good defensive lines create pressure. And if the expectation is that this line does not give up any pressures or does not give up any sacks or does not have errors in this game, then I don't think you I, I don't think you're really getting what the point of this is. It's to try and get the unit working together. It's a preseason game. You're gonna have tough games on the road that the same will happen when they play the Rams. They're gonna give up some pressures. So that's gonna happen. So I would urge people not to overreact because I've, I've been a little bit frustrated with the reaction to the Afedi game. And, and I, I had the benefit, Kenny, of I, I intended to get up at three o'clock in the morning to watch the preseason game. My alarm went off. I turned it off at three o'clock in the morning, woke up at 4.30 and watched the game on a delay. And 
didn't read any of Twitter because I didn't want it to be spoiled, didn't want to read any spoilers, and was really surprised when I logged onto Twitter after finally watching the game to see that everybody was talking about Jermaine Fetty because my feeling was, well, yeah, you had that, those bad couple of snaps against uh, Melvin Ingram, but I, I didn't come away thinking, oh, what a disastrous performance from Fetty. So I was really surprised to see the reaction to it. And then I went back and watched every single one of his snaps afterwards. And I know people have written about this and said, oh, they've picked holes in nearly every snap he's had. But actually, I looked at him and thought, hey, he's looked pretty good. You know, and sometimes his technique wasn't great. Sometimes he dropped a little deep. But ultimately, he kept Russell Wilson clean up until right at the end of the first half when he had two really awful snaps. One of them, he, he gave up an early pressure on Russell Wilson because he's, you know, this is the benefit of a mobile quarterback, just moved away from the pressure and extended the play and I think delivered a pass. And the second one was when he was dumped on his backside and it was really embarrassing and um, people have really lingered on that that one play. But it's also easy to remember that Dwayne Brown had a whiff in the, in the first half as well. And you know, it was two to one, you know, against a good pass rushing opponent and, and Ingram having a great game, by the way. And, and it, it surprised me a little bit. There was so much of the attention this week's been on a Fede when, for example, nobody's criticised the defence for giving up that first drive and... And, there were, and nobody's really laboured the point on Chris Carson fumbling in the red zone. And he fumbled twice on back-to-back plays, by the way. They kept one and then gave away the other. It just seems like Fetty's become a little bit of a scapegoat. So I would say, if George Fan gets an opportunity, all the best to him. I don't think he's played particularly great in preseason. That's understandable because he's coming off a serious injury. But I don't think he's looked particularly comfortable or, or at the level that he was a year ago. Again, very understandable. But I think it's a bit optimistic to think that he's going to come in and be cleaner even than Jermaine Fetty. And I think he needs time. And I think it's it's fine and fair that they give him an opportunity to compete for the job at right tackle. And Pete Carroll said that was always the plan at this stage in preseason, whether that was the case or not. That's what he said this week. And good luck to George Fant if he does it. But my expectation is that Fetty will start the season at right tackle and Fant's probably going to have to win that job during the season or Fetty's going to have to lose it. I think they're probably going to go with the five that they've been very consistent with so far. And, and, and I think that's the right thing to do. And then very quickly on the other things, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the receiver battle, but I think it's pretty much, I, I kind of think it's pretty much there. I mean, what more does David Moore have to do? I th- they seem to like Brandon Marshall as a red zone veteran experience, but maybe he has to show a little bit more in the game or has to at least play a lot of snaps to make them feel that he is injury-free and moving forward. Uh, Magoo and Austin Davis, I just think that they don't seem to be that satisfied with, with their backup options. Even though Magoo had the good drive against the Chargers, I think, you know, this rumour, I'm sure you saw it this week, Kenny, about Jacoby Brissett and the second round pick. Um, Jason Nakamfora saying it's not true, but I, I'd be a little bit surprised if if they hadn't started ringing around on potential backups because I, I, I'm not convinced that they want to go down the, with a rookie backup for Russell Wilson given the, the injury um, situation that he had a couple of years ago when he hurt his ankle against Miami and then and there was a knee as well against San Francisco. I'm not sure that they want a rookie at the controls of this thing um, and, and maybe do want someone who can come in and competently win them a game. So whether it was a second-round pick or whether they just inquired, I'd be a little bit surprised if in the next couple of weeks we don't see some kind of movement on the quarterback position unless... Davis and Magoo can really take a step forward in this game, which will be hard to do against a Minnesota team that's not just good in the first in the first team, but also has got a lot of depth. Yeah, and I think this is you know you you've you've sort of already started what uh, I intended to do next, which is just sort of and I 
also set it up, but like uh, just a few quick hits. So I'll just lay it out, you know, uh, some of the situations, some of the battles, and you tell me what you your prediction or, you know, where you fit, sit with it and, and if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But um, Tedrick Thompson will be the starter at free safety all season long. And are, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, uh, ooh, that's a really difficult one to start with. Um, I, don't, I think if he's, the, if he's the starter for the whole season, I think it's a good thing because Earl Thomas is going to come back at some point. He has to, otherwise he's not going to accrue a season. So he has to come back. So if Earl, when Earl Thomas comes back, probably in about week eight, if he's not traded before then, then if he comes back in week eight and the Seahawks are still sticking with Tedrick Thompson, that means that Tedrick's playing well. So to answer this question, if he's the starter for the whole season, it, it must be a good thing. Is Byron Maxwell going to be the starter at opposite corner of Shaquille Griffin, and is that a good thing? I think he will be, and I think it is a good thing. I think that Trey Flowers has shown he's got a lot of potential. I think the others have shown in little flashes, but I think more than anything, the Seahawks just need somebody that, that knows the system, that they know has had some production in their scheme, uh, ended the a season well last season. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Byron Maxwell can can show them that he's he's committed that he's ready to go into this season as a starting cornerback and I hope that he he does prove that and essentially wins that job. Are Puna Ford and Austin Calitro going to make the final roster? Uh, I think Puna Ford will. I don't think they'll want to risk losing him. I think that he's shown well and they always have a they've always had a red shirt guy on the roster. So even if they're a bit loaded at defensive line, I think they even if they don't intend to use him heavily in the rotation, I think they might stash him at least for the first few weeks. Um, in terms of the linebacker, oh, he's he's played well, hasn't he, in preseason? But um, I just wonder whether the the guy who he's coming up against is is renowned for his special teams value, and that might win the day. I'm afraid. If Ed Dixon started the season on PUP. Would you feel comfortable with Nick Vanette, Will Disley, and Tyrone Swoops at tight end? Um, I prefer Ed Dixon to be available. He's had injuries in his career, but would it be comfortable? I'd be comfortable, but I don't think there'd be much of a threat in the receiving stakes from that group. I think Vanette's had, you know, he's obviously had a, a good camp by the sounds of things, and he had a good game against Indianapolis, but. I don't think many teams would be threatened by by the tight ends, but I think they could do a job in the running game. So that has to be a positive, you know. And I'm uh, in terms of the offensive line, lots of focus on Jermaine Afidi, as you as you've mentioned. Obviously, you know DJ Fluker is the new guy. Everybody likes Dwayne Brown and Justin Britt. And I'm curious, are we overlooking a potential problem with Ethan Pochick at left guard, or is Ethan Pochick playing well? And do you expect him to have a good season at left guard? I haven't studied his his stats, so I, I don't know. I've only studied Afedi's from the Chargers game. I think that the fact that there's not been much talk about him um, this off season is probably a good thing. I like I like offensive lines where nobody talks about them. I mean, obviously, that's not going to be the case in Dallas because they are quite an exceptional offensive line when everybody's healthy. Um, but I quite like it if if nobody was talking about the Seahawks offensive line this year, which would be a rarity. And nobody's talking about Posick, so I'm going to move and veer towards the positive side of that, Kenny. But I think they'll have been really desperate for Posick to take a step forward because I think he needed to. And they did spend a second round pick on him. So um, they'll be hoping that he's going to show a lot more this year and hopefully he can nail down that left guard spot. And I, th I think I heard right that Pete Carroll said this week that J.R. Sweezy, on the, upon his return to health, had been tried on the other side, mm. Carroll said, which I think means that they had a look at him at left guard. So I think they will 
perhaps wants Sweezy to give Sweezy at least a little bit of an opportunity to nick that job off him. So Posey's got to keep on his toes. You know, maybe uh, Jim Harbaugh's last stand against Pete Carroll. Are Amar Darbo and Delano Hill both going to get cut one year after being a third-round pick? <sighs> I don't know because I, I thought I thought it was a shoo-in that, D- that Darbo was going to get cut, but some of the local beat writers seem to be thinking that they might just stash him anyway. And um, he hasn't shown anything, has he? Mm-mm. You know, in, in, in a year and a bit now. So uh, when does the faith run out? And it really could, I suppose, let's let's look at it this way. So how how many receivers do you think they'll keep, Kenny? I think they'll keep five. Uh, and if five, gonna, maybe six, yeah. Yeah, six would have to come at like, the sixth guy and it would have to just be like a really good special team, like Marcus Johnson. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they would roll initially at least with with Finette and and Disley if if uh, mm-hmm. Dixon's there and, and just say, look, we'll go with it, we'll chance it with the two tight ends, knowing that if Swoops gets to the practice squad, they can always call him up and then have the extra receiver. I don't know, just to keep because sometimes the roster thing is about keeping who you want to keep, isn't it? At least in the initial stage of the season. So if they if they if they, if they say they go with six, then just for the Argument's sake here. So, Baldwin, Lockett, Brown, and Moore, I think, are, are pretty much secure. Would you Would you go along with that? Yeah. So, then that leaves two spots. So, Brandon Marshall's got to prove his health more than anything. I think they really like his, his leadership and his, and his size and the red zone ability. And I think that may have been a Russell Wilson-inspired signing that. I think they probably feel a little bit guilty that they've taken away Jimmy Graham, who was his close friend, a great target in the red zone, had amazing red zone production last year. They've taken him away and not really replaced him. So I think the, the big target there with Brandon Marshall is, is for Russell in the red zone. So they, I think they want to give him the chance to, but if you if he's in there in week one, Kenny, his, his salary is guaranteed for the season. So are they going to want to do that? I mean, that's, that's the big decision. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Marshall plays quite a few snaps in this game to try and prove that he can stay healthy. So I think they kind of want to have him, but they're not sure. And then that leaves one more spot. So is that a Darbo stash? Is it Johnson just because of the speed? You know, they brought him in in the Bennett trade. Or is it Stringfellow? Maybe Stringfellow makes it if, if Marshall doesn't. Can they stash Stringfellow? Is he going to be a practice squad guy maybe? Yeah. So there's, there's, it, that is a really interesting debate. And there's still a bit to de- be determined there, I think. And it won't surprise me if Russell Wilson plays a full half again in this Minnesota game, just so that they can have a good look at these guys. Yeah. Um, well, that wraps up our talk on the Seahawks, uh, as they, in terms of the last game and the next game. And then, you know, we'll get back to them on the next episode next week. Um, but the, the final thing that we want to talk about today, you know, with the NFL season approaching quickly, just 18 days away from the Seahawks' first game against the Denver Broncos in Denver, uh, that means that we are always one week less than that away from the debut of the college football season. As you know, you're listening to 3000 NFL Mock Draft, which has always, you know, which started out as a draft podcast. It's morphed into a Seahawks podcast with a draft emphasis. Um, and, you know, the college football season approaching and, and upon us, it means that we're still going to talk about college football and we're going to talk about some of the guys that, you know, will be prospects in the draft next year for the Seahawks and other teams. Um, and Rob, I know that you have, you're preparing a list for Seahawks draft blog that'll have some names to watch as the, appro- as the season approaches next week um, for college football. So, you know, Rob, I'm just going to let you take it from here. What are some names that you really want to focus on and have other people focus on with the upcoming college season? 
Well, the good news is, is it already looks like a really good potential draft class, Kenny. You know, there's there's a, a huge. I've got more names this year than I've had at any stage this year. You know, usually you have a good like 20, 25 names that you want to watch. I've got a lot more than that this year. Um, so I, I would, if I was a Seahawks fan who likes the draft, I'd be excited about that and excited about the start of the college football season. So. I've mentioned earlier, year of the defensive lineman. You've, you've got your Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa's brother, who's going to be in this draft class. Cleland Ferrell looks superb at Clemson. Ed Oliver, you know, these are the names that people know about. Raekwon Davis, huge, sort of like a quick, not as physical as Calais Campbell, but quick, really quick. You know, there, there's some big name guys, Dexter Lawrence, you know, Kristen Wilkins, the bigger names, Rashawn Gary at Michigan that you know about. But just some of the names that really impressed me. A um, couple of linebackers, a guy called DeAndre Walker, at Georgia, it was just really intense, physical. Uh, when he did the spark testing, he ran a four-one-six short shuttle, which is late in Vander Esch territory. Went obviously very high in this this draft this year. He had this sack against Florida, Kenny DeAndre Walker. This is where he just drove two offensive linemen into the QB, which you know is the kind of thing that you might see Aaron Donald doing. I mean, that's just the power and the intensity of Walker. Um, I just think he's such a fun player to watch and. For me, he, he should be a first-round type of talent we're talking about going into this draft. Not many people are talking about him, but DeAndre Walker at Georgia, really fun player. Another linebacker that I really like, Devin White at LSU, just flies to the ball really quick. Um, incredible testing ability. Ran a 4.57 at 260 pounds on the Spark Day, and I would imagine he's a bit quicker than that now. 4.36 short shuttle is fine. He had a Spark score in the 120s which is really good for his size at 260. Just I just see him and Devin White of LSU and DeAndre Walker, two linebackers that people really need to keep an eye on for me. There's a tackle, a right tackle, no less. A lot of people will be interested in him. David Edwards at Wisconsin. I think he's a lock for the first round. Just think he, he's, he's, apart from the two linebackers, the player that I enjoyed the most watching. Intense, physical, amazing size. Watched a documentary about his time at Wisconsin and what he does and the kind of food that he eats, which is ridiculous, by the way. And and just his preparation. And he's he's basically the ideal offensive lineman. His attitude, his size, his personality, his his love of the game. I think that David Edwards is going to be a first round long. Uh, I want to give you a couple of other names because I'm just excited just thinking about this draft class. Uh, Joe Jackson, defensive end at Miami, looks the part, looks really, really solid. I wonder, wonder about how athletic he truly is, but just looks that he's got fantastic frame for a, a pass rushing end. Brian Burns at Florida State. You want to see a bit more from him. Had a great freshman year defensive end as well. Want to see a bit more from him this year. Still fairly decent last year as a sophomore, but Florida State had a down year and that might have played towards it. Uh, another pass rusher at Georgia, Jonathan Ledbetter. Really like his intensity. Works through traffic well. Defends the edge in, uh, in terms of the run game really well as well. Great motor, really quick. Um, Austin Bryant's the other, other guy at Clemson. Just wonder about how athletic he is. Um, and there's a few safeties as well. J.R. Reed at Georgia, Jaquan Johnson at Miami, and, and Chauncey Garner Jr. at Florida, who I think are really good. Um, so there's, there are just in, a load of players that are really, really, really fun to watch, Kenny. And a, a lot of them are defensive linemen. And as I mentioned earlier, I'd be really surprised. And I'd, I've never been this confident about a direction that the Seahawks will go in in the draft. It is August the 22nd, and I'm convinced that they're going to take one of these defensive linemen um, or front seven players early in the next draft because that is an area of need. And it wouldn't surprise me if they bolster up that defensive line with a free agent addition or two, um, like they did in 2013 as well, to really load up this defensive line and make sure that next year, 
were going into the to the regular season thinking this isn't a reset year. This isn't a year where maybe the Seahawks have to take a step back to move forward. We're talking about a Seahawks team that is rejuvenated and ready to have a real go to get back to the Super Bowl. Hell yeah. Uh, well, I'm excited for, for the Seahawks to play their next two games, and I'm excited for college football to start up next weekend. Um, certainly excited to see what the Washington State Cougars and the University of Washington do. I think, you know, Washington ranked sixth. They'll be taking on Auburn ranked ninth. So they'll find out pretty soon how their national championship uh, hopes are looking. Um, so we'll find out. And, and Washington State, not ranked and not really close to being ranked. But, you know, if they get through their first three games, all their non-conference games against pretty weak opponents, or at least... They look weak from here on out. We've seen the Washington State Cougars lose to worse or lesser teams. And worser is definitely a word. Um, but we'll see what happens with the Cougs and the and the Huskies and everybody else and those prospects. So keep an eye on them and you know, keep an eye on this podcast. This is 3000 NFL Mock Draft trying to come to you every week around, uh, around Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and it'll be even easier to get that scheduled down once the Seahawks regular season starts. And, um, uh, and you can expect that moving forward. So you can subscribe to this podcast by finding Seaside Chats with Kenneth Arthur on iTunes. Go to Seahawks draftblog.com and follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Staten. You can follow us at Field Goals or at Kenneth Arthur. S is me. Uh, I added that is me. That's not in the, in the handle, but you know how to get it. And you weren't going to follow anyway because I don't know whoever does based on this part of the podcast. Um, but that's it for this episode of 3000 NFL Mock Draft. Come back next week for a brand new draft.